This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The first overall selection in the 2023 NHL Draft belongs to the Chicago Blackhawks. And there it was from NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. And the joint presentation from NHL Network and Sportsnet. That saw the Chicago Blackhawks winning the NHL's draft lottery. And moving up to the first overall selection, allowing them the opportunity to select Regina Pat's superstar and potential phenom in the NHL, Connor Bedard, in this year's upcoming NHL draft. Welcome to the program. It is Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and lots to get to. On the program today, we will obviously dive into the results from last night at the draft lottery. The Calgary Flames sticking at pick number 16. The Chicago Blackhawks winning the biggest prize of all and moving up to number one overall. We'll dive into that. Uh, We'll also talk a bit about the Vegas Golden Knights and their bounce back performance last night. In Edmonton as they took a 2-1 series lead over the Oilers. And uh, coming up a little bit later on this hour, very happy uh, to get a chance to chat with uh, Roughnecks captain Jesse King. Big win for the Roughnecks over the weekend uh, in the beginning of their playoffs against Panther City. They now go into the West Final to take on the Colorado Mammoth in uh, a massive three-game set. So we'll check in with the captain of the Roughnecks. After a big win for them on Saturday night to see how they're feeling ahead of their series with Colorado. But uh, very early on the program, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon to kick off the program. Turning all things NHL draft, NHL playoffs. Uh, it's our pal Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Uh, Cos, thanks as always for the time, man. How are you today? Yeah, doing good. My pleasure. Uh, reaction last night, man. How was it uh, for you? Watching the draft lottery and seeing it come out with Chicago at number one overall. Uh, well, I mean, it was interesting, and you know, like there's always a lot of talk about tanking, and I don't know if there's a team that did more to tank than Chicago. To be perfectly honest with you, yet they still finished uh, third from the bottom and got a little bit of that good luck. But as soon as it was picked, I immediately thought, all right, well, there's the next Patrick Kane. And uh, off the Blackhawks go again. I mean, he was picked first in 2007. That was the only other time Chicago had the first overall. And uh, we all know what happened with with Patrick Kane um, and and teaming up with, uh, you know, Seabrook and Keith and and Taves to go win those three cups. So I don't know if it's going to have that kind of effect. But when I'm looking at the impact that Patrick Kane in and of himself had on the Chicago Blackhawks, I think Bedard is going to have a very similar effect. Yeah, it feels almost like a, a dream scenario for the Blackhawks as they really 
just dove in. I mean, they haven't been great the last couple of years, Sammy, obviously, but this was the first year, right, where we really felt like Team Tank was on. Debrinket was on his way out. They moved on from Kirby Dock, and it really couldn't have worked out any better if you're the Blackhawks organization because, as we you talked about you know, previous times, for this team especially, they haven't had that same opportunity as maybe in Anaheim or Columbus to develop some of that top-end talent in their system this really will be a big boost to their developmental system right away, hey, Sam? Oh, yeah, no no question. I mean, the thing is, like, is there is there really going to be a lot of development? I, I don't know. I mean, I think yeah, probably not. the show right away, you know, Logan, and, and, and has an impact right away. So, you know, with the resources that have been afforded Kyle Davidson uh, based on the moves he made and the people he let go, he can now really ex- uh, accelerate to – you know, a rebuild back to prominence for the Chicago Blackhawks. And I'm honestly like, I think if you, if you knew if we were privy to what the plan was to management, when this thing all started, uh, I'm not so sure Connor Bedard's name wouldn't have been in there. Hey, we're going to go and do this. We're going to get rid of this guy, that guy, we're going to acquire all kinds of picks and we're going to try and shoot for Connor Bedard. <laughs> I, I think if there was a note to management or presentation made to management, that's probably what it looked like. And, uh, you know, Kyle Davidson uh, took a chance. He moved a whole bunch of pieces. And, and here we are today with, uh, with the prize possession. When you uh, initially, now that we found out that Chicago is going to be the destination, we know Connor Bedard's going to be the pick. When you look at that roster, Sam, do you see a spot for him on night one when it comes to Chicago's roster at this point? Yeah, in terms of who, you know, he's going to play with, I, I mean, I think a lot can happen now that you know that you have that pick. You do have an additional first rounder. You do, uh, I believe, have some cap space left. Uh, so it might be, these guys might be ready to start firing right away. And in both areas, uh, the ability to accrue uh, free agents, uh, as well as the ability to uh, draft and, and develop a few players or move off some of that draft pick capital and, and bring players in right away. So I'm kind of interested to see how, how it's going to work for, for the Blackhawks moving forward. You know, sustainability is a, is a key element. I think when you're presenting to management, to, but having said that, you know, when you go and sell $3 million worth of, uh, of season tickets in the matter of just a couple of hours, maybe the fan base becomes immediately more demanding and you have to satisfy that demand by, by trying to go out and get as many pieces as you can to surround uh, Connor with. Yeah, what a story that was last night that uh, the phone's ringing off the hooks at the Blackhawks front office to get in on the Connor Bedard show for uh, the Blackhawks season tickets. It's a great uh, story for them going forward. The other story that a lot of people were talking about last night, Cause, was the Anaheim Ducks being on the uh, back end now of the Crosby draft and now the Bedard draft and missing out on both of those guys by just a spot. 05 still landed them with a pretty good player in Bobby Ryan. What kind of consolation prize can Anaheim look forward to picking second overall this year? Yeah, I think Adam Fantilli is going to be a great player. And I think, you know, Anaheim fans will get an opportunity to uh, see him at the, at the men's world and really get acclimated to what it's like being around national hockey leaguers and the, and the pace of the game against the best in the world. So that's going to be pretty good. I mean, I'd have to think he's going to be the number two guy. And and it's funny because you think about Patrick Kane sort of being replaced by Connor Bedard. And I think about Ryan Gesslap, who's been absent from Anaheim for a couple of years, being replaced by Adam Fantilli. 
big guy down the center of the ice, probably doesn't play with as much grit uh, as uh, as Ryan Getzlaff. But, you know, I think there's some offensive upside there that's going to uh, match and some leadership uh, capabilities for Fantilli that would mirror or at least look somewhat like what they had in, in Ryan Getzlaff. So, you know, listen, Anaheim did a pretty good job of tanking itself. Obviously, they had the, the highest percentage uh, of getting that first overall pick. So, you know, on one hand, when you look at the teams that were trying to get down there, um, you know, it worked for one and, and didn't for the other. Uh, I guess if you were to classify a, a loser in the draft, it would be Columbus, the fact that they have to move down to three and let Chicago take over that spot. But still sounds as though there's going to be a pretty – close to, if not NHL-ready prospect, ready for them when it comes to the third overall pick as well, Sam? So you're looking at probably, you know, if Fantilli doesn't go two, then he goes three. Uh, if Fantilli goes two, then you're looking at one of two guys, Leo Carlson in Sweden, uh, a big winger who may project down the road to play center. Uh, and uh, if not him, then you're looking at Will Smith, who's committed to go to Boston College next year. So Either way, uh, you know, Columbus is still going to get a really, really good player. Um, you know, I'm starting to look at uh, Chinnikov and Marchenko and Sillinger and Kent Johnson. And then I think about Juracek and Fozil on the back end. And I'm thinking about Columbus as being the team that we're going to be talking about, like, like Ottawa maybe two years ago. So if you can add another, uh, you know, big forward piece to that, um, you know, that's really going to push things forward for the Columbus Blue Jackets, a team that I feel um, has been the epitome of mediocrity for, well, really since they came into the league. So at some point it uh, was going to have to turn around. I think this next piece to the puzzle is definitely going to help that. But I do like some of the some of the pieces they have coming right away. How do you look at this from an Arizona perspective now that uh, the dust has settled from the uh, Jacob Chikrin trade? They'll pick 6-12. and 12. Uh, in this draft coming up, at least for now, we know things can change and uh, obviously draft position can move up or down for both of them, but an interesting spot for the Coyotes who could add potentially two really good prospects if they stay there, Sam, or they could get creative one way or another and maybe look to move up with both of those picks or even add some more if they feel they need to, to really stockpile some prospects. Well, I mean, if if I'm Arizona, here's the strategy I'm going to employ. I'm not thinking about moving either one of the two picks. I want to make them both. And there's two ways I'm going to go here. One of them is selecting Matt, Matt B. Mitchkoff with one of the two picks and then complementing that with the defenseman if that defenseman is still available at that point. Mm. The other way I would, I would go is I would ensure I get a defenseman at six and whatever one of the really good forwards that's still left, I get them at 12. Uh, in terms of accruing more picks, there's only so many Arizona can have. They've had an abundance here the last few years. I mean, you're only allowed 50 contracts. And the other thing that you have to consider with Arizona is the fact is, you know, what's their timeline here? Uh, if things go sideways with this new building and there's a relocation down the road, I know we've heard that story before, but that presents a, a different opportunity than if this building actually gets passed and you're on a three- to five-year timeline then you might be looking at specifying a, a European player or a college kid, knowing that he probably uh, better fits your, your time, your timeline, almost in the same way um, with what they did with Logan Cooley. You know, you can have the kid go to college for a couple of years and that kills off a couple of years where you're getting your building built uh, and then move forward from there. So there's two pretty distinct strategies. I think that uh, Bill Armstrong can follow there. 
the Matt Faye Mitchkoff one is, is really the most interesting of the two strategies. If they were to be a little bit more conservative, they could definitely add a good piece up front and, uh, and one on the back end as well, if that's the road he chooses to go. Uh, here in Calgary, Sammy, obviously 16th overall, the spot for the Calgary Flames. And uh, we knew that right off the start uh, with Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Obviously, the Flames had the lowest opportunity to win the draft lottery. It would have only seen them move up 10 slots. They wouldn't have been able to get Bedard anyways. But how do you look at this 16th overall spot for Calgary in this draft? I know 15 picks ahead of them is going to determine a lot about what this draft looks like for them. But how do you see sort of being in the middle of the first round for Calgary and what that might present to them at 16? Well, I mean, that's it's not a spot you ever want to be in. That's that's for sure. But that's the card that's been dealt here, and now you have to move forward with it. So when I'm looking at it, uh, because of this draft, you're feeling a little bit less pain than you might have in other years where you're picking in that mushy middle. Uh, but I do feel that there's going to be a number of players available to Calgary there. Whether it's the you know the big center in Matthew Wood, uh, whether it's a guy like Braden Yager who plays in Moose Jaw, uh, Western Hockey League guy, is it a guy like Daniil Book uh, who plays in Russia who's a big uh, smooth skating uh, forward? Uh, there's there a lot of different options. I I don't feel a defenseman is going to be available to them there unless they want to reach on someone that I would have lower on my list. So you're probably looking at a forward. And you're probably looking at still a really good player there. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I know uh, our pal Peter Labardius was on with the guys in the morning today and was just sort of doing some wishful thinking for the Calgary Flames. And one name that he had brought up was Axel Sandin Pelka uh, from the Swedish league there and had said, look, if that was a name that was there for Calgary, it makes a lot of sense given their defensive cupboard and everything that they need to add and what this young man could be. But it kind of feels like him and Rhinebacker are going to be the two discuss the most and it, it might be hard to see them like you said sam at uh at that 16th overall spot for calgary yeah and, and i and i understand where pete's coming from for sure but with both guys being right shot guys and with the significant gap between those two and the rest of the defensemen in the class i have a hard time seeing that either one of them would be available at 16 in fact it'd be hard for me to see them uh get past the number 12 pick both guys would it make sense uh, for a team like Calgary missing a third-round pick to uh, potentially move down to the early 20s in this kind of draft, Sam? Is there going to be much of a, a swing there in the group of players that they're looking for from 16 if they moved into the early 20s and tried to pick up a late second or an early third there? Yeah, I wouldn't be adverse to making that move at all. It's You know, when I'm looking at Calgary, it's, it's probably the ideal scenario, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. It would be that trade-back scenario to accrue you know, another, uh, another pick. So I think that's definitely is, is a situation that, uh, you know, Don Maloney or whoever he picks to be his GM will, will very much have to investigate that situation as one of a very viable options they may have. Uh, speaking of that situation with Calgary, it is unique in the fact that they are in the middle of a GM search here. Don Maloney did speak to Flames TV last night following the, uh, the uh, draft lottery, Sammy, and said, hey, look, we've got, uh, meetings in a couple of weeks, and we are hopeful that a GM can be in by that point to to join us for those meetings. How much would a GM, in your mind, have an impact on a team just a few weeks out from the draft? Would it come in? I'm assuming guys keep their own list, and obviously, if they're with an organization, would have you know some knowledge of the draft. But I, I guess this would be a draft maybe for a new GM that would lean heavily on the amateur scouts of the Calgary Flames for what they would want to do, eh? 
Yeah, I mean, Todd Button's been doing it for a long time, so you'd have to put your trust in him. The interesting scenario would be if it's a, a general manager who is selected from an AGM or from another organization. You know, technically you're not allowed to take the list from the last team you were with. But I tend to think that uh, people who saw the that they might be in the hunt for uh, – for the GM job in Calgary have probably tucked that list in their pocket already just either to actually use it or to actually use it as a guide uh, to complement what uh, what Todd Button and his staff are going to do. But I think it's pretty interesting to me because if it's a guy who's been out for a little while, you know, it, that decision's it's, it's your first as a GM, you know, kind of like Mike Greer was uh, with San Jose last year. How much do you want your own input? How much are you going to lean on the staff that's been presented to you, knowing that you're likely to make changes on that staff once you arrive? So that's a fascinating scenario to me. Uh, Having said all that, you know, we're at a time space right now where you're not likely to see any of the players uh, play games, maybe a couple of them. Um, And, you know, you might be able to get to the combine if that hire is made by June 4th. But I do believe that uh, it's likely a scenario where they're going to lean heavily on Todd Button on his staff to, to make that first pick. Uh, Sam Cosentino along with us, Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca. Uh, Sam, we're well into round two now of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Last night, uh, one game of the Oilers and the Golden Knights. Uh, big bounce back game for the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, still a question with Edmonton about what happens at five on five in this series. And I'm curious how you saw last night's result for Edmonton and if there's any worry about this team when they don't get enough power play opportunities about beating Vegas. Well, they're they're used to having their way in that regard and in, in their wins, that's for sure. But Edmonton's not the only team that's been relying on, on power play success in order to win games. I think you'd, you'd look at Dallas, you'd say the same thing. I think you'd look at Toronto, uh, you'd say the same thing. Toronto didn't even have a power play in its last game to go down 3 nothing to Florida. And Dallas's power plays have been mitigated by what's been the the most uh, you know disciplined team in the NHL in the playoffs in Seattle. So Seattle did the very same thing to Colorado. Didn't give them as many opportunities in the power play. They're doing it again here to Dallas. But getting back to Edmonton, um, you, you know, like when we go back and look at their regular season, it was the McLeods, it was the Ryans, it was the Yamamotos, it was those other players that were providing the tertiary offense that that's plagued this club for years under the McDavid and, and Dreisaitl era. And so those things really worked uh, well in, in, in the regular season. Um, and now that group is going to have to find its way back into prominence here because I don't think things are going to change. Vegas realized it has to be disciplined. They can't give this, this Dreisaitl McDavid power play too many looks. And I think it's going to be tightly contested the rest of the way. And there's going to be more reliance like we saw with Fogel getting that goal last night. So um, that series has been really fascinating to me because the Vegas Golden Knights use five goalies in the regular season. You know, they're using two now. You got Quick, who's got to jump from his workout gear to uh, to his backup gear in last night's game after Brossois goes down. And yet the results are remarkably the same. That Bruce Cassidy system where they collapse in front of the net, they four-check hard, they squish in the back track. I mean, it's... It's successful enough to make all the goalies, including a rookie in Logan Thompson, a cast-off from Arizona and Aiden Hill, um, and, and Lauren Brossois has bounced around to a couple of different teams, have all been equally successful under that system. And that's been pretty remarkable for me to watch. 
This is not going to be an easy series. It is going to be a long one. Aiden Hill was good last night in relief of Laurent Brassois. I'm curious, Sam, would you give any consideration to maybe starting Jonathan Quick uh, in the next game if Brassois can't go? I don't think so. I think it's been too long. And okay. I think with the way Hill played, he makes, what, 24, 25 saves. I think yeah. it's the, you know, the best relief appearance for a goalie who didn't allow a goal in, in the history of the National Hockey League. So I, I, I wouldn't stray away from that. But Jonathan Quick is a nice safety valve to have. Should uh, should Aiden Hill falter when you have a guy who's got a couple of cups and all kinds of experience in his belt? Uh, how surprised are you heading into tomorrow, Sam? That we're talking about a Panthers team that could sweep away the Leafs in four. It's been really interesting for me to watch, and you know, like I was lucky enough to to be around and and made sure I was doing my due diligence when Florida was in Toronto at the end of the year. Um, and Paul Maurice blew up and essentially changed their seasons. But, man, they faced a lot of different challenges this year. And when, when, I, when I consider what's happened in Florida, you get rid of a coach in Andrew Burnett, who did an unbelievable job replacing Joel Quenville. You understand that you need to be bigger and stronger. You're so confident that that element is going to put you over the top that Bill Zito didn't even protect the pick, uh, given uh, that he gave away to the Montreal Canadiens. So... <laughs> It's all it's all really worked out, and so that's you know ultimate confidence for Bill Zito, and I guess kudos has to go along with that because coaching changes work. You know the Matthew Kachuk thing has worked brilliantly. They are a grittier, tougher team, and the same sort of scenario has crept up for Toronto as it has the last six years. They don't really have an answer for the physicality and the and the heavy forecheck that uh, that Florida's given. Uh, speaking of just bringing it back to the Flames of the guy you mentioned there, Andrew Brunette, would he make sense in your mind to uh, be the next head coach of the Calgary Flames if the, a new GM was open to that? I think so. I, I really do. Um, you know, the obvious connection is Huberto and Uyghur there, and you'd like to see both of those guys get back to the levels they played at previously uh, with Florida before coming to Calgary. So that does make some sense there. But, you know, I talked to a lot of people about Bruno and uh, – you know, everywhere, everyone you talk to says he's ridiculously smart. He's a good person. He has some, um, you know, outside box ideas about how he wants the offense to run. Uh, and I think last year was, you know, it was a big learning experience in terms of making in-game adjustments or lineup adjustments to match what the playoffs uh, has to offer. So that experience, I think, will bode well for, for Andrew Burnett here moving forward. If it's not Calgary, though, I do believe he's going to get a, a couple of looks uh, elsewhere. Yeah, seems like a guy that's that's just about ready to jump back into that sort of spot. So, uh, Sam, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for uh, hopping on with us today. Enjoy the games tonight, and we'll uh, chat with you again soon, hey? Okay, thanks, Logan. Take care. Take care. Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline, his latest along with former NHL scout and uh, draft analyst Jason Bukula up at sportsnet.ca. Now that the first 16 picks are locked in of the NHL draft, uh, Jason and Sam with a little bit of a mock draft, 16 picks in. Uh, obviously, Connor Bedard projected to go to the Chicago Blackhawks first overall. And in this uh, original mock draft, if you go all the way down to 16, uh, Sammy and Jason uh, coming to Edward Saleh, the Chechia uh, forward. Uh, for the Calgary Flames in that projected mock draft and uh, talking about an offensive upside, a good skater there. But uh, as I mentioned with Sam there, maybe this is a situation where Calgary looks to 
move back into the early 20s, pick up some extra draft capital, and maybe get the same caliber of player at, at 20, 21 as you would at, at 16, where the Flames are projected right now. But I uh, highly recommend if you're into mock draft season, you're interested in some of those prospects that are going to be available and uh, around that 16th overall pick where Calgary sits right now, head to sportsnet.ca and check out that mock draft from our buddy Sam Cosentino and Jason Buchla. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Hour one rolls on here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, welcome back to the program. It is Sportsnet Today rolling on here from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Logan Gordon along with you. Outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor in the other room. Calgary Roughnecks with a massive win Saturday night at the Scotiabank Saddledome over Panther City to kick off their postseason run. 12-9, your final score. Setting up a big West final matchup against the Colorado Mammoth, who squeaked out a 13-12 win over San Diego on Friday. And now these two teams that know each other very well set to meet up in the best of three series that gets going on Thursday when the Roughnecks travel to Colorado and uh, help us break it down. What we saw Saturday and what's coming up for the Roughnecks, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon and welcome in the captain of your Calgary Roughnecks. It is Jesse King. Uh, Jesse, thanks for doing this as always, man. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate the time, man. Uh, Saturday night, a big win for your team. Congratulations on that. And uh, must feel good today to come off uh, a victory on Saturday to kick things off in the playoffs. Yeah, those uh, those first games are uh, pretty nerve-wracking when it's a single-game elimination. It's, you know, both teams kind of going, you know, all or nothing. So it uh, it can be pretty stressful. But when you uh, you get those wins, it's, it's all so much sweeter and knowing that uh, – you know, you're getting that opportunity to stay together with your your teammates and your brothers for you know at least another week or two here. Uh, hard fought win for your group on Saturday. Take me through it from uh, your perspective. As it was just seeing Panther City for the the second time, as I know you guys finished out the regular season against them, and probably not surprised that it was a hard fought win all the way to the end, hey? Yeah, they um, they came out in the first half, and I think that they played really well, and we. Um, might have been a little bit overtaken by you know the, how well that how fast they came out against us and um, it was really good for in between that kind of first and second quarter when Coach uh, Miloski could kind of you know let us take a breath let us kind of understand what was happening and you know kind of pitch that idea that like if you you know want to stay together and you want to continue to you know, be around each other, which is, I think what a lot of guys on this team value a lot in their lives is, you know, being around each other so frequently, then, you know, you got to earn it. And to do that, you're going to have to make it through this Panther city team. So, you know, Delbs, our goaltender, the, his second half flash last three quarters of the game was outstanding. He played very well and kind of set the standard for us moving forward into that second, third and fourth quarter. And from there, our offense was able to get really nice and settled. And I think that we kind of just, started to find our opportunities and take advantage of them on the offensive side of the ball. And, uh, you know, we're really thankful again to do, to be able to spend some more time together and, you know, get an opportunity here to, 
you know, push ourselves into the finals for this Champions Cup. Well, let's talk about that uh, that change from the first quarter to the second quarter there. You mentioned your coach, Kurt Miloski, giving you guys uh, a bit of a pep talk there and talking about it. It was an unusual one for your team, Jesse, the fact you guys gave up six. But again, you mentioned it there. You only let in three the rest of the way. It's got to be a big boost of confidence for you guys to know that, hey, look, we can have a bad start, but we're going to bounce back from it, not only from Del Bianco's perspective, but I think defensively you guys did a great job keeping everybody to the outside from that point in. It just felt like your group was really able to settle in after that first quarter and play your style of game the rest of the way out. Yeah, I think when you you know, you know have those moments, um, the nice thing about our team is that you know we have uh, quite a few veteran guys on the team that have been in these situations before that you know, I say they're veteran guys, but they're all still pretty young, being like only like 24, 25, 26 years old. Um, but we've been in this off place before where, we're, where we were back in 2019. So mm-hmm. we knew that there was no reason for us to panic. And when you start to panic, you start to be reactive and do things that are uncharacteristic of yourself, especially on the floor. So when you're able to have that conversation with your teammates next to you, just know, like, listen, like we, have, we don't need to panic here we need to just be calm and be positive and know that we are capable of so much more than what is happening at this moment. And I think you kind of saw that transition after, you know, the first quarter when we were able to kind of slow things down. And as an offense, you know, we saw that the defense, you know, didn't have their best first quarter. And I think we kind of tried to take it upon ourselves to, you know, really, really make an adamant effort to, to put our best foot forward so that we could support them the best way that we could, because they're always supporting us. And, you know, you kind of see how that transitioned. And those games are so important because moving into, you know, these deeper parts of the season when you're in these playoff series now that are best of three, you know that we have that ability to, you know, not panic and to be calm and just kind of stay composed in those situations so that you can kind of, you know, understand what we need to do moving forward the rest of the game and kind of bounce back in those situations now. I don't want to say that we always want to be in those situations, obviously, because it's stressful, but it is always reassuring that, you know, when you've been put in those situations before, you know the next time, like, how the best way to respond is, and I think that that's what we're able to do because we've just been through that before. Uh, Obviously, you were a big part of the comeback on Saturday, Jesse, with three goals and three assists yourself, but it was Tyler Pace that... Uh, led the way for your group, eight points in total, four goals, four assists. What makes Tyler such a unique player and, and a guy that's able to come through with that sort of impact for your team offensively? Yeah, Tyler is uh, an extremely intelligent player, um, and he's also extremely hard on himself. Um, he knows when he's not performing, and he knows when he needs to step up, and he has a very high tendency to do that. And I think when he was able to you know, get that first kind of goal for himself that you really saw him to start to settle in and really um, take opportunities and just, just run with them because, you know, he was able to get that, you know, three goals in a row in the, the back, back half of the game there that were, you know, one ended up being the game winner. So, you know, when you have a guy like that over on the other side of the floor from you, that your confidence is just through the roof. And that's what also helps me play my game, knowing that Tyler can be, you know, a, a guy over there on the right side that that the guys can look up to and look to for knowledge or for, you know, what they should be expecting of themselves. And I think on a game like that, where, you know, our whole team kind of contributed throughout on offense and, uh, and even on our defensive end, we were able to get some transition goals in it. Again, it, it instills so much confidence in all the guys around you. And that's when, 
you know, you get into those situations where you might be down a little bit, that guys don't panic as much because they know that they can rely on each other to, you know, kind of carry us out of that hole a little bit when it's needed. Uh, I know from talking to Christian over the last couple of years, even talking to him last week ahead of the game, he's, he's never one to put the personal accolades on himself. He's so much about the team and what everybody's doing in front of him, but I mean, what else can you say about the season that he's had, Jesse, and the, the playoff performance that he had? I know you mentioned him already as being a, a really important piece of that win Saturday and helping you guys settle in throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, he's. we have a lot of guys in our team that, uh, you know, all we ever look forward to is, is just winning together and spending more time together, and there's no difference for Christian. You know, he he's our MVP. He's our guy that backbones our entire team, and, you know, when he has his best games, there's, we're usually winning by a substantial amount. And, you know, maybe when he has his first quarter where he doesn't play his best, then maybe the games are a little bit closer. But he, you know, his again, his knowledge of the game as far as, like, as a defensive, what defensive men should be doing and what he should be doing as a goaltender and what we should be doing uh, for preparation outside of, you know, being at the arena and doing your training and what you need to be doing for watching film is, is unbelievable and his dedication to do that and the amount of work ethic that he has is it's inspiring and it's inspiring for young kids to see that in someone like Christian who's, you know, 25, 26 years old and, you know, understanding that at such a young age is so important and it, it really builds a foundation for a great team. Uh, and it's interesting, too, because a lot of what you've said is something that he brought up last week, too, was interesting for you guys to have that buy in the last week and then heading into, obviously, the week of work that you have to put in before you get to the game on Saturday, Jesse. But he talked, too, about you know the, the group as a whole wanting to come in and putting that work in together and making sure that during the bye week it wasn't a, just a wasted group effort. It was you guys were going to make sure to get into town getting those practices together, get, get all those times together as a team so that, you know, A, obviously because you like doing it and you like spending time with each other, but because you have that sort of commitment to each other to make it work and to give everybody their best effort. And I imagine that's a pretty unique thing and a great thing for you guys as a team to feel that sort of camaraderie and know that everybody's willing to put in that little bit of extra work, even when you do have something like a, a bye week to end off the season. Yeah, it's it's always – you know, we, we try to hold keep people extremely accountable on our team, um, whether that's, you know, to make sure you're doing your training during the week or to make sure, you know, at practice, especially on like that bye weekend that we're, you know, we're only on the floor for an hour and a half. Like you have the rest of your day for yourself. Like uh, we only have two, we had, sorry, we had two sessions for an hour and a half. So like, why not make the most of it if you're going to be out there and, try and replicate what a game is going to look like. And then during that spare time, like you can do what you need to do. And, you know, I, I it was great. Cause we, in the morning on that bye weekend, we had like a walkthrough just like a game day would be. And then during the day it was, we normally before a game, you know, you'd go and like do your nap or do your whatever, but it was mm-hmm. such a nice day. out. We knew that we were going to be playing. There was like a handful of guys that, we went to like the Calgary zoo and spent some time together and, you know, guys went for lunch or whatever and just did some more things as a team that you normally wouldn't get to do because, you know, obviously guys are flying in of, uh, of Calgary that aren't from there. So it was just a really good opportunity to, you know, get in some really good work for the, you know, three, four hours that you're going to be on the floor. Also just kind of build some more team bonding opportunities 
and get to hang out with each other out, outside of the floor because we don't always get those opportunities. And again, those when we got into practice and there was times where guys were being a little lackadaisical or maybe just going through the motions, it was like, hey, we're here, like pick up your feet and get things moving. And guys completely understood and they didn't, you know, no one's harping back or like, oh, like mm-hmm. whatever, it's just practice. Everyone understands what the job is at hand and they know how much work it is for us to be competitive. And that includes, you know, going 100% of practices when we have the opportunity to do so. I uh, have to mention, of course, the uh, over 10,000 fans in attendance at the Saddle Dome on Saturday. It's it's something I ask you guys about all the time, but I, I love to ask it because it's such a, an easy answer. And it's it's one that I think never gets old for you guys, seeing a, a really packed house at the Saddle Dome and just seeing your fans come out and support you like they always do. Yeah, it is uh, It is so awesome. And, you know, it was a special weekend for, for myself because my, my, you know, being in Calgary, my parents got to fly out. I think there was a lot of parents that got to fly out. You know, my partner um, got to fly out. She came to the game. And, you know, when you have that little bit of extra motivation for the people that are there that you know, and then on top of that, you have, you know, the loyal Calgary fans that we love and uh, so dearly and we appreciate so much. It's it the magnitude of the game just, it explodes and it's just so much more fun and, you know, so much more rewarding when you're, you know, walking off the walking on the floor after the game, waving your stick in there, and you know you can't even hear yourself think because it's so loud on the floor. And those are the kind of things that we appreciate the most from our our loyal Calgary fans. And we know that we're going to continue to put our best, you know, product and you know effort on the floor for them. And, and we know they'll always be there for us. Uh, Jesse King, along with us, captain of your Calgary Roughnecks, following a big win against Panther City on Saturday. And uh, now Jesse sets up a big matchup against the Colorado Mammoth, uh, a team you guys obviously know very well. How much uh, excitement is it there for you guys to match up in this three-game set against Colorado? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good uh, good series. You know, we're kind of similar in the way that you know they have a very talented goalie at their back end. Um, their defense is you know big and uh, they play athletic and they play strong and their offense can get extremely hot kind of just like ours um, so it's it's going to be a really really good battle I think for for everybody and I think that uh, you know we're lucky where you know if this game series does go end up going to three games that we do have that home field advantage we do have the opportunity to play in front of our fans twice if it comes to that but um, for now, we're just concentrating on Thursday in, in uh, Colorado and know that if we can go down there and take it to them at their home court and beat them in game one, then that gives us a really good advantage moving forward. When you uh, look back at the regular season, uh, when you matched up against them, I know they took one early at Ball Arena, a really tight one and back in January. You guys got one back uh, a little bit later on in the season. What sticks out when you remember those matchups going back to the regular season against Colorado, Jesse? Yeah, I think it's it's when we play against a goalie like Dylan who can be extremely hot, that it can be really frustrating as an offense because, you know, shots that you'll be taking normally that fall just aren't falling. And, you know, just continuing to be persistent with that as an offensive player, you know, they they are going to fall that like we just can, if we stick to our processes and know what we can do on offense, then we're going to be successful. And as far as, you know, the back, you know, goaltending does, if, if they, if our defense plays the way they know they can the way that they played three quarters for last week then I don't think there's anybody that can beat us so um, I think when we look at this matchup we think of where we can win you know the little battles the loose ball battles which is going to be so important and also 
um, that transition game that, you know, we preach so often getting the ball up the floor in the sticks of, you know, guys like Shane and Zach and transitioning and getting those opportunities to get us some goals that are in a little bit uh, different way than just a five on five set. Then I think that uh, we're going to have no problem going forward. Uh, is, is it always uh, interesting? Do you ever get, I know there's been some time in between. It's not quite the same as it was with Panther city, but uh, you ever get that uh, sick of seeing you feeling when you talk about Colorado and how much you guys have played these massive games. I know it was on the broadcast of the TV side of things. They were talking about, you know, this sort of rivalry that's developed between Calgary and Colorado, because you guys have seen each other in such big games in the past. Yeah. I think uh, we're, we're two teams that are pretty familiar with each other. And uh, I think that's what also brings out some of the best battles for it. And I know that we're excited to go play against them and they're probably just as excited to play us, which is going to just make it into a really good series. But again, I think that if we stick to our game plan and know, what we can do and what we're capable of, then no matter who our opponent is, I think that we're, we have a recipe for success there. Uh, and quickly, before I let you go, Jesse, just wanted to, uh, to quickly ask you about the, the regular season for yourself and uh, hitting the hundred point mark your first year as the captain, you've got a playoff win under your belt. I know the ultimate goal is still in front of you guys. You've got work to do, but from a, a personal perspective, you got to feel pretty good about the year you had uh, in Calgary this year with the Roughnecks. Yeah, I think, you know, you're happy with the success that the team was able to have. And, you know, I'm happy that uh, the way the team is kind of unfolded and how well everybody gets along and how much everyone trusts each other. And that's just not just like because of me, that's because of the just exceptional leadership that we have on this team in general with, you know, our core group of guys like Eli and Mano and Christian and Zach and Shane and, you know, Pacer and all those guys, like we just have such a good core group of guys who have spent time together outside of just lacrosse and understanding each other. And when you're able to do that, that's going to lead to team success, whether it's, you know, my success or Tyler's success or Christian's success or anybody's success, they'll all tell you the same thing. It's just because the way that our team has been able to be cohesive this throughout this entire year that, you know, our team has just led to success. And with that in hand, you know, guys have some, other accolades that they you know come across but at the end of the day it's it's not the season you want unless you unless you come out with that that championship so i know that's what we're working towards well jesse hopefully more of that success continues for you guys starting on thursday i uh, really appreciate the time as always you guys are always so good to us here uh best of luck <laughs> in this series against colorado we really do appreciate the time man uh good luck and hopefully yeah. it's a massive crowd on saturday for you uh, in game two of that matchup hey eh? I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Jesse King, captain of your Calgary Roughnecks, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, the Calgary Roughnecks start a three-game, a best of three, I should say, uh, series against the Colorado Mammoth on Thursday in Colorado, 7.30 face-off before coming back to Calgary for Game 2 on Saturday, May 13th. Tickets are already available. Head to calgaryroughnecks.com, 10,104 the attendance for the game on Saturday against Panther City. You get another Saturday matchup at the Scotiabank Saddledome to catch your Calgary Roughnecks. If there is a need for a third game, it will happen Saturday, May 20th. So uh, lots of chances to get there. Fingers crossed the Roughnecks don't even have to worry about Game 3. Uh, but like Jesse mentioned there, if they have to go to Game 3, nice to know that they'll do so in the nice confines of the Scotiabank Saddledome in front of the Rough House and uh, I think we can do even better than 10,104 when it comes to uh, Saturday's matchup against the Colorado Mammoth. A chance to go back to uh, the finals in the NLL for the Calgary Roughnecks and 
like I said, 10 players on that team from 2019 that brought a championship back to Calgary. Uh, they would like to do that again this year, and it all starts Thursday against the Colorado Mammoth and then back at home Saturday for Game 2 of that series. Once again, CalgaryRoughnecks.com. Get your tickets. Go out there and support the Roughnecks. Should be a great matchup this series against Colorado. A very familiar one for the Roughnecks. They won two of three during the regular season and would love to uh, win two to start this series off. So uh, thanks to Jesse for the time. Really do appreciate that. And thank you to Laura from the Calgary Roughnecks for helping us set that up. Really do appreciate uh, her effort in that as well. We will take a break, come back on the other side. We'll kick off hour two with an interesting conversation about the Calgary Flames and Tyler Toffoli, who was named captain of Team Canada at the uh, World Hockey, Ch- the Men's Hockey Championship, uh, which got going today, by the way. Uh, a couple of Flames who are assistant captains as well in Milan, Lucic, and Mackenzie Weger. But we're going to center the conversation around Tyler Toffoli. Uh, he's good enough to be Captain Canada for this tournament, but could he be the captain of the Calgary Flames going forward? Uh, we'll look at the pros and cons of a potential Tyler Toffoli captaincy when we kick off Hour 2 of Sportsnet today. That's coming up next right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.